0: dr beckett welcome to the quantum leap podcast theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime dr sam beckett stepped into the quantum leap accelerator he awoke to find himself trapped in the past facing mirror images that were not his own
1: You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 18. Catch a falling star.
2: Five, four, three, two, one. You're on.
0: Oh, boy. I- Al, uh, what? I'm an actor. You lucky dog. I'd love to be standing in your makeup. Yeah, you go on when he can't. When he can't. When when he can't go on, I can't go on. I'm not an actor. I hate to say this, but he's terrific. Mm. But not for long. In three days, at a benefit performance, he does a Gerald Ford impersonation on that stairway right there. shatters his leg, his hip, and his career. So all I have to do is stop him from tripping down those stairs. It's Nicole. I see her Nicole? She was my piano teacher when I was a kid. She could tickle my ivories any time. She was the first woman I ever loved. I could never forget you, Nicole. You're going to save John from falling down the stairway. Let him break his neck. Huh? John, break a leg. What matter wounds to the body of a knight errant? For each time he falls, he shall rise again and woe to the wicked. Al? Hear your grace My armor, my sword More misadventures Adventures, old friend
1: I shall impersonate a man, come Enter into my imagination And see him, his name, Albie A podcaster for Quantum Leap Podcast
3: Oh yeah? And my fair maiden, Dulcinea is that, is that me? My name's Heather.
1: I shall call you Dulcinea. Wonderful. I see heaven when I look at you.
3: <laughs> I see what you're doing
1: here. If you haven't figured out yet, we are doing a podcast on Season 2, Episode 10 of Quantum Leap, Catch a Falling Star, which is all about the man of La Mancha.
3: I have to say, I'm so glad that I won't have the song stuck in my head anymore.
1: <laughs> are you sure?
3: I hope you stop I playing this I am I,
1: Don Quixote. <laughs> lord of la mancha yes i have overdone it a little bit this week and last week
3: not only have we watched the episode three times
1: three i'm on like six
3: okay but we've watched the movie man of la mancha and somebody has been playing the soundtrack to man of la mancha all week long even part of
1: last week too soundtracks There are different ones, different versions. Yeah. I'm pretty uh, psyched for this. This is pretty cool.
3: When I start my car and Man of La Mancha starts playing, (laughs) it's just not okay. It's just not okay.
1: Yeah, I left one of my CDs in your car.
3: But I have to say, I mean, it was a good episode and it definitely is a must that you understand the story of Man of La Mancha or watch the movie in order to understand the certain things that happened in this episode because... The first time I watched the episode, I hadn't seen the movie, and I'm like, that doesn't add up, or that doesn't make sense. Once I watched the movie, it still didn't make sense. Once I read the recap of the movie on Wikipedia, (laughs) then I got it, because the movie, I don't know if I'm just not smart enough to comprehend that movie, (laughs) but I was reading the Wikipedia synopsis, and I'm like, I didn't know any of that happened in the movie.
1: I guess they're very subtle.
3: The beginning of the movie, the way I interpreted it was I had no idea why they were in a jail cell or a prison, and I had, I just thought they went there to perform, but according to Wikipedia, they were arrested and thrown in the jail, and I guess they were under arrest for foreclosing on a monastery, but I didn't get any of that from the movie, so I'm not sure me neither. So maybe if you read the recap on Wikipedia, not necessarily watch the movie, then you'll get the episode better.
1: <laughs> I even watched a play on YouTube.
3: Oh my. It was pretty good. You're not over Man of La Mancha, I guess.
1: No, it'll, it'll be a while, but I can see why a lot of people said this is one of their favorite episodes. So what we are doing here today is a podcast about a television show, which is about a play with a play inside of it that is based on a script that is based on a book. Yeah. So this is Quantum Leap's version of Inception, maybe?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. I don't think a lot of people have seen this movie. I've never even heard of this movie or play, but a friend of ours knew it just from the first couple bars of the soundtrack.
1: Uh, My friend Frank, he was at the show with the original cast on the off-Broadway production of Man of La Mancha. It actually was way off, off, off Broadway and it won a Tony. So that's what brought it to Broadway. And he today told me the whole story of everything and how he'd go. And he went with his friend and they bought tickets and it was like the most popular play at the time, but it wasn't even on Broadway, which was weird.
3: That is pretty cool. It's obviously a good story. And like I said, now that I know the background from the Wikipedia (laughs) recap, it's a really cool concept for a movie. And did you say that people keep trying to remake it? And Yeah, there's actually a documentary on Netflix that I didn't get a chance to watch
1: yet. That's all about how they tried to make a newer movie about it, and it just didn't work out.
3: Well, and this is Scott Bakula's influence on this episode, right? He wanted to do this one, so that's why they picked this play. I read that somewhere at one
1: point, but I couldn't find it.
3: Somebody had to have liked it to put it in the episode, because there's tons of musicals that... They could have done. So they picked this one for a reason, right?
1: I did read somewhere that they picked this one over other productions that they were considering doing the play about because one man is trying to right all the world's wrongs and the other one is his faithful companion sidekick.
3: Oh, that kind of makes sense.
1: So the parallels there. First impressions of this episode.
3: I like this one. I like Sam's lovesick puppy teenage boy attitude in this episode. And I and I do like the storyline. This is a good one.
1: After the last episode where we had the whole shooting the sun, the face coming off, the heavy drama, the crying and everything bad happening and people being scarred for life, it was really nice to have an episode that's just fun.
3: Right. It was a lighthearted, good episode.
1: I enjoyed it a lot. And for me, it was one of the first episodes that I've seen Sam actually worry about himself for once.
3: Well, I liked that uh, specifically one part that stands out to me in this episode is that Al sees on Sam's face that the earth had moved, which bothers me as a quote. <laughs> but um, that Sam, he says, I'm fighting everybody else's fight. I'm writing everybody else's wrongs. I don't get to enjoy my life. And that's so true. I mean, if you think about it, Sam doesn't even get to do anything for himself in these episodes. He's Not allowed to be himself. He's not allowed to fall in love or do whatever he wants to do. Every day he's working. Like this is a crazy full time job. Every single day he's in someone else's life trying to right their wrongs and fix everybody else's problems. And he had a breakdown moment in this episode that was, hey, this is something I want to do for me. And that doesn't happen very often. So get off my back.
1: It was very uncharacteristic, but I really liked it.
3: Sam Beckett is this moral, perfect guy, right? So any of us going through this would have been like, you know what? I'm done. like <laughs> A long time ago, right? I mean, I'm sure it's it feels good to help these people. You know, I'm sure that those moments before he leaps are great to feel like you helped someone. But at the same time, you got to have a couple moments for you, right?
1: I think it was something that the series was missing, and I had no idea that it was missing until I did see it, which is Sam worrying about himself for a change.
3: Yeah, it was something that I didn't even think about until he said it. I'm like, he's totally right. He should have a chance to fall in love with this girl and be a lovesick puppy. But, you know, Al's right, too. This isn't your life, and you're just going to end up getting hurt because you're going to leap out. Poor guy.
1: I think we have a lot to talk about.
3: Oh, yeah. We always do.
1: After... The episode recap.
3: This is Season 2, Episode 10, Catch a Falling Star. Original broadcast date, December 6th, 1989. Written by Paul Brown and directed by Donald P. Belisario. (laughs) Nothing could be more nerve-wracking than being an actor in the theater. Unless, of course, you're Sam Beckett, and leap in a minute before you're supposed to take the stage as Don Quixote in a Syracuse production of Man of La Mancha. Luckily, his host, Ray Hutton, is only the understudy to John O'Malley, who arrives at the last moment, drunk, but still able to act. John taking the stage causes a wave of sympathy to hit Sam from the crew for not being able to perform, but a very relieved Sam is joined by Al and they watch the play from backstage. Al has very fond memories of joining the theater after having left the orphanage and has a great time reminiscing. He informs Sam that he is there to stop John from getting so drunk that during the next show, in three days, he falls off the balcony, breaking his leg and ruining his career. Sam is worried that he can't get John to dry out in time and also that he would have to perform. Al tells him not to worry, that Syracuse is a long way off Broadway. And with Sam's photographic memory and singing ability, he'd be able to pull it off and that he can't pass up the opportunity to be a star. Backstage, Sam recognizes a woman from his past, Nicole, who had been his piano teacher during his early teens and the first woman that he'd ever loved. She left to go to Juilliard when he was 15. He thinks that she recognizes him, but during their fond greeting, she clearly had recognized his host, Ray, who is an old friend of hers. Nicole reveals that she had been cast as an understudy to play Dulcinea, Sam and Nicole are interrupted by John, who is immediately smitten by Nicole and invites them to an after-party. At the after-party, John makes a spectacle of himself, singing about going to the bar and introduces Nicole as the new Dulcinea, infuriating Michelle, who usually has that role. Sam is sent by John to the bar to get drinks. Sam tries to convince John that he has had enough, but the suggestion is laughed off. At the bar, Michelle tries to get Sam to come upstairs with her, but he refuses her advances. When he returns to Nicole, Sam finds that John has passed out and is taken upstairs by Dolores. Nicole takes Sam to her house, where they catch up and reminisce, or rather, Nicole reminisces while Sam pretends. Sam takes to the piano and does a scale that reminds Nicole of a student, him. Sam reveals he'd had a crush on his piano teacher, and Nicole, thinking it's adorable, says Ray must have a thing for piano teachers. It's clear that Ray and Nicole have a romantic history, and though Sam warns her that he's not the same Ray she fell in love with, She reveals she's changed over the years too, but her feelings haven't, and they kiss. At the rehearsal the next day, Al arrives with a copy of the script of Man of La Mancha, for Sam's eyes only. Al's suspicions are raised when Sam reads the lines with a great deal of passion, as they accurately reflect his feelings for Nicole. Nicole also reads beautifully and sings, What does he want of me? Sam and Nicole are both praised by John, who arrives late and immediately requests for Nicole to take on the role of Dulcinea for the next show, to which the producer agrees. Sam tells Al that he's not going to stop John from having his accident as he is in love with Nicole and stopping John from breaking his leg would mean he would leap and have to leave her. Michelle, furious at having been brushed off by Sam and now losing her part, starts plotting revenge against Nicole. She entices their co-star Manny with promises of sex to help her. He'd been trying to woo Nicole for some time. That night, they make it appear that Nicole had gone back to John's room overnight, infuriating Sam. The next day, he ignores and snubs Nicole, upsetting her, and tells Al that he's still not going to help John after what he did, and tells John to break a leg. Manny feels guilty and comes clean to Sam before the show, though, prompting a last-minute change of heart, and Sam catches John as he is falling, preventing any injury. John decides he can't perform, and Sam has to go on, giving a brilliant performance and allowing him a last-minute opportunity to reconcile with Nicole. As Sam reaches the top of the staircase, on the last note of the impossible dream, Sam Leaps.
1: Thank you for that episode recap, Heather. That one was written by Hayden McQueenie.
3: Thanks, Hayden.
1: Uh, It's always good to have him around because sometimes you just don't have an episode recap when you need one. They're becoming fewer and far between.
3: I wonder why. (laughs) I
1: don't know. I think people get excited to do them and, you know, when they start out and the first season had them and second season had a few... And uh, now I can't find many. So it's good to have Hayden where he can just sit down and write them. I asked him how he did it and he just said he just sits down and writes them. I guess he's seen them so many times he can just tell you exactly what happened, which is awesome. If we're ever trapped on a deserted island, he would be a great guy to have with us because we would just be like, "Okay, episode 13, go.
3: Yeah, you can relive Quantum Leap on a deserted island.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But we're putting them on the Quantum Leap Wikio. Also, we just put links to our podcast on there, which is really exciting. So more people can find us, hopefully.
3: That's pretty cool. We always like to expand our audience. The thing that impressed me the
1: most about Catch a Falling Star was the acting by Scott Bakula. I know I say it all the time because Scott's amazing, but he does each character he leaps into slightly different. And this one, I could really tell he was approaching it as a completely different character, but of course with Sam Beckett in there. But there was a lot of things he did as Ray Hutton that I haven't seen before. Uh, Little mannerisms he had, the way he... Looked at people, and even he did a something. Either he got injured and had some kind of eye problem, or he did something special with his eye in this episode.
3: Yeah, you had said something about that. I didn't notice it. I just saw him as a lovesick puppy, basically in this episode.
1: Uh, he really was. He was in love with Nicole, and uh, I guess is one of those things that never went away.
3: Yeah, I guess it's one of those things when you see that person, all the feelings come rushing back to you.
1: And when he realized that he wasn't a little kid anymore, and he could actually do something about it. I think he got more lovesick.
3: She couldn't have been that much older than him if she left to go to Juilliard when he was 15, right?
1: Yeah, but you know, 15 and 25 is a big age difference at that time.
3: Was she 25?
1: I'm just guessing.
3: Oh, because like if she was right out of high school going to Juilliard, it wouldn't have been that big of an age gap. But I, they didn't really give that.
1: Yeah, there's no specifics. But I'm thinking just because he was so young.
3: Yeah. Was he in that picture?
1: I paused it and I looked, and I don't think so. There was no one that really looked like Scott Bakula as a kid. And it didn't really look like it was, I don't know, Photoshopped at the time, whatever they used, you know, an X-Acto knife and tape. But it didn't look like that when they tried to put somebody in a picture. Yeah. So it looked like they had just taken it for that episode.
3: Yeah, well, he was very sentimental about it. And I figured it might have been him, but I didn't see any resemblance, so I wasn't really sure. Plus, I didn't see any 15-year-old-looking Scott Bakula, so...
1: No, there was a couple older teenage boys in the back, I think, so it might have been him. But I think if he was in the picture, he would have asked about, do you remember this kid or something? Yeah. I was very surprised that he actually became romantically involved with Nicole in this episode. That's not something that Sam usually does.
3: But he did have that freak-out moment that we talked about before, so... Maybe he just got to a point where he was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. Yeah,
1: I think that's good.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, any of us would have been okay with doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, say, Honeymoon Express, he had all these reservations, but you're supposed to be acting like her husband.
1: Right. What could be different just because uh, he was in love with her before?
3: Well, I think that he's just getting more used to leaping, too, because he has kind of had romantic feelings for other women in in other episodes. So I think that he's just getting used to this lifestyle now and he's not having as many reservations about it as he used to.
1: Yeah, like I said earlier, very uncharacteristic for Sam Beckett.
3: But definitely understandable. I think it
1: has a lot to do with Sam realizing that he's not going home at this point. He's working full time for someone or something, God, fate, time or whatever. And he's putting things right that once went wrong. And that's What he has to do. And he's just taking a little side trip for himself right now, I think.
3: Well, yeah, he doesn't get any time off. (laughs) It's really, really full time.
1: And do you think it was really important that he saved John O'Malley from falling? And he could have leapt in the day before and not like a week before. So maybe who's ever controlling it is like throwing him a bone, let's say.
4: Well,
3: he did leap once just to save a cat in a tree. So I don't know what the importance level is of all the leaps.
1: Well, eventually I'll pro- we'll probably get to an episode where John O'Malley has a cat and that's the same cat and, you know, they, <laughs> they cure something. I don't know.
3: Yeah, maybe John O'Malley has more importance than he lets on.
1: Right. And once you break a hip when you're that age, that's the end pretty much.
3: Yeah. I mean, uh, even Sam said he hated to admit it, but he was really good at what he did. So I guess it was a pretty big tragedy that his career was over. Do you think he sobered up after this? I don't know. Probably not. <laughs>
1: But it was nice that he let Ray Hutton go on in his place that night after saving him. I think he realized that he could have just as easily let him fall and hurt himself and then he would have had the part, but he didn't.
3: Yeah, he realized that maybe he should step back and let him have one moment out of the what, 736 performances (laughs) or whatever. He
1: had counted them, yeah.
3: Yeah, I think Ray deserved at least one. And by that point, Sam didn't even care if he went on or not, but he did pretty good. Go Scott Bakula.
1: He did really good. A medley of performances in this episode actually is on the Quantum Leap soundtrack.
3: Really? Yes. That's all I need to listen to this <laughs> song one more time.
1: We have been overdoing it, haven't we?
3: I literally wake up in the morning with Man of La Mancha stuck in my head. You're welcome. Yeah, I don't know. I'm ready for the next episode. <laughs> and it's not because I don't like this episode. It's just the same song. I might overdid it. Yeah, maybe just a little bit. I tend to do that. Yeah.
1: Were you surprised at Sam's attitude about letting John O'Malley hurt himself and not caring, almost like out of uh, vengeance or bitterness because of what he thought happened with Nicole and John in the hotel room?
3: I think by the time we get to this episode, he has been pushed so far. And you really can only push somebody so far. And he finally got the girl, even if it wasn't really him who got the girl. But then just to have John O'Malley, who he already doesn't like... Come and take it and mess it all up, and he's feeling betrayed. And yeah, I I think those are all human feelings. I am kind of shocked that they came from Sam, but at the same time, he's human. You know, I think he was more hurt than anything else, you know, feeling betrayed. And especially considering he has Nicole on a pedestal. You know, when you're this is your first love, you're 15, you think she's perfect, you think that she can't do anything wrong, and then you think that she's sleeping with this loser your mind just can't handle it. So I, that's how I would feel.
1: The scene where he's sitting on the stage playing the piano in the empty theater and he's really thinking and trying to figure out what to do and trying to sort out his feelings and he's playing the piano. I really enjoyed that piece of acting from Scott and it was nice to have Dean there to like help him have someone to vocalize his feelings. But he was really hurt, which makes me wonder why do you think John O'Malley let Sam think that Nicole was the one in the shower.
3: Just to have the upper hand. You think so? Mm-hmm. He's just that mean of a person, I think. He's got that star mentality where he's the most important thing. And you know he tried to at least hook up with Nicole and she wanted Sam, well, Ray. So I, I don't know. I think he just kind of played along with the trick he knew that Michelle was putting on.
1: There is a lot of all about Eve going on in this episode. Maybe not the traditional way, but the stars were kind of trying to hurt their understudies.
3: Well, yeah, and I'm sure that when you are in a play, you have some kind of rivalry with your understudy anyway, especially when your understudy is asked to play a show instead of you when there's nothing wrong with you.
1: It was a benefit show, so I don't think she would have got paid for it anyway. But still, when you're the star, you want to be the star, I'm thinking.
3: Well, yeah. And also, I think letting your understudy go on stage is kind of like a failure to that kind of mindset where it's competition and you think you're the best and nobody can compare to you. How dare they go on stage instead of me? And even John O'Malley calls Sam an imposter which is actually kind of funny. but Because
1: uh, <laughs> he is. He's a professional imposter.
3: Right. That's what he does. But if you look at it like that, as Sam being an imposter, or as the understudy being an imposter, and look at Michelle's take on Nicole going on stage. Oh, you're going to let her go out like that? Just to put that in her head. She's obviously very jealous because Michelle is with Ray, and she wants Ray, obviously.
1: <laughs> yeah, she was uh grabbing him.
3: Yeah, she was. At the bar. And Sam looked so awkward. <laughs> like, please stop. Please stop. Please. <laughs>
1: Either Scott Bakula is a really good actor or uh, they were really going for it. I don't know. But that was uh, something.
3: There was a lot of interesting scenes in this episode because it is a lighthearted episode. You know, it's not focused on a crazy moral issues. Look at the last episode where, you know, it's about guns and racism and all these huge topics and this one's just kind of like a light-hearted episode but the passion in their kiss or the level of awkwardness where he's trying to turn down michelle all of that you know there's so much emotion in this episode and it's so great like you said the acting in this episode is amazing
1: you mentioned the kiss
3: i did <laughs>
1: every time that kiss came up i said heather watch this kiss
3: i yeah i know i was like yeah i've seen it three times i don't need to watch it again
1: Amazing kiss. I want to say it's the hottest kiss so far.
3: Very, very passionate.
1: Yes. uh, I don't know if they hung out afterwards. I don't know if Scott was married at the time. (laughs) I don't know what was going on. But uh, Donald P. Belisario directed this episode. And I think, you know, you hear stories about the director just not saying cut. And I think that is what happened there. And he didn't say cut and they just kept going. It was pretty good.
3: Well, it had to be passionate. You have to think back to being 15 and having your first real crush. Okay, fast forward 10 years or so, or probably like 20 years, right? I mean, he's got to be in his like 30s by now. So fast forward that long, and here you have an opportunity to kiss that girl, to be with that girl that was your first crush. That's got to be like a huge deal, right? He was such a teenager in this episode. So I'm sure it was like a hormonal, you know, surge thing, and he just couldn't help himself. That kiss showed how much love he had for her.
1: I understand what you're saying. If the kiss wasn't as passionate as it was, you wouldn't understand the level of affection (laughs) that Sam had for Nicole. And then the episode wouldn't mean as much, right?
3: Right. Like that kiss had to be passionate. And he did so good.
1: Yeah. Very good.
3: That was what your favorite part of the episode? (laughs) Um.
1: It was a good part of the episode that I liked. I really liked the whole episode. Uh, I love the music. I love when... Do you?
3: Do you (laughs) love the
1: music? I do. I had heard it a bunch before, you know, on the Broadway stations, on satellite radio and things, but I had never seen the production before we went into this episode, so...
3: Hmm. Yeah, I I mean, it's good music. Don't get me wrong. Just over the past week, I've heard the same song. The one song. My favorite. More than any other song that I've heard... (laughs) i am i
1: don quixote oh, God. lord of la mancha
3: I'm not even sure what just happened
1: <laughs> so scott bacula plays sam beckett who's in the aura of ray hutton who's playing the understudy of john o'malley and then he plays miguel de Cervantes, who plays in the play don quixote
3: wrap your head around that one seriously it's like a play inside a play inside a TV show.
1: But everyone plays multiple parts in this episode because it's a play within a play within a TV show.
3: Yeah, IMDb says John Cullum plays John O'Malley and Cervantes and Don Quixote. <laughs> I wonder if you
1: get paid for three parts
3: or no. Probably, probably not. Probably not.
1: When the episode started out, did you like the mirror gag? I thought it was cool in this episode how they did it. It took me about two times watching it to realize how they did it.
3: Well, I thought something was weird with the fingernails, but I didn't really notice anything until you said something about the fingernails. And I'm like, yeah, what's, why are they long all of a sudden? But I didn't connect that she swapped with someone else. I don't know why.
1: Dolores, who was played by Myra Turley, was doing Sam's makeup. And when she went around the back of him, she switched out with somebody else's hands. And then she went around the camera and went into the other side of the mirror. Right. So it looked really good, except when you notice the fingernails of different lengths,
3: yeah, they were like a mile long, or it wouldn't have been that noticeable.
1: So either it was two different people or it was like an area of space-time that was accelerated like in Timescape, the Next Generation episode. It's probably that. Okay, either one. Um, they did put a red bracelet on both people's hands, so you would think it's the same hands, but the uh, fingernails is really what did it.
3: Standard definition, small screen.
1: Definitely, and that comes up a little bit later in this episode, too.
3: So two things about the beginning of this episode. One, I, I don't understand why he says, this is just ridiculous. He he has his little Shakespeare speech where he says, I know that life is compared to... Is this the voiceover? Yeah. Okay. But then the, the episode starts out by him saying, but this is just ridiculous. Like, I don't understand what the fact that he's wearing a m- mustache.
1: He does look odd in a mustache.
3: But I mean, <laughs> he's sitting in a chair and he's like, but this is just ridiculous. Like, I just thought that was kind of weird for Sam to say.
1: I totally glanced over that whole part. I have no idea.
3: In the four, ta- four or five times you watched it? <laughs> Seven, now. Well, he
1: says in it that one man plays many parts, but this is ridiculous. He might be referring to so many different parts within parts of other parts.
3: Okay. I guess that makes sense. I was like, this is ridiculous. Out of all the other people you've played so far, <laughs> this is ridiculous. He's
1: sitting in a makeup chair with a mustache on.
3: Yeah. <laughs>
1: I think, even though it takes place at the beginning of the episode... As like a recap of the past episode and an intro to the new episode, I think the voiceover is intended to come from him towards the beginning of his next leap. Almost like a supplemental Captain's Log that was put in the beginning.
3: Okay, that makes sense.
1: That would be the only way it would make sense sometimes because he has no idea he's about to go on stage while he's saying that.
3: Speaking of about to go on stage, the other thing, (laughs) when you watch the preview for this episode, the director...
1: Played by Paul Sand.
3: Right, right comes in. What's his name? Charles? Yeah, Charlie. Comes in and he's like, 50 seconds. And then he says like 47 and then he says 48. But they did fix it in the episode. He says 50 seconds, 47, 43. So at least they fixed it. But in the preview, he definitely says the numbers out of order.
1: Which I thought that was just part of his character, you know, and I'm sure they wrote it like that. Because he was just off on the time, but trying to be like it's it's less than a minute. Frazzled, yeah. yeah, he was frazzled, right? But for some reason, they went back in and overdubbed it with a different number.
3: Probably because it didn't make sense. <laughs> but I love Dolores' reaction. She's like, "We're not launching a rocket. We're just putting on a play." <laughs> I thought she said record. She said rocket. Rocket. Okay, you know, like ten.
1: Oh, okay, nine. That makes more eight. sense now. <laughs> I didn't have closed caption on. <laughs> yeah, it's just a play, and it's off, 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 off Broadway. Right. Off, off.
3: In Syracuse, New York. Which
1: confused me a lot because they're like, I just can't go back to New York. That's why I'm in Syracuse. And I kept thinking, I swear Syracuse is in New York.
3: Syracuse is in New York. Right. But so, they're okay. referring to New York, New York.
1: But they don't say New York, New York or New York City. They just like, I couldn't make it in New York. So I'm in Syracuse. So it's confusing for me. For you. A little slow.
3: I know what they meant. Okay. You know, because I'm the Broadway pro and I have I know all the lingo. <laughs> Not really, but I just assume they meant New York City. That's weird that it's the same name as the state.
1: Right. If it was in a different state, say they were in Pennsylvania, that would have made more sense. Yes. Yes, I agree. They might be in Syracuse, Pennsylvania. I don't know.
3: Probably not. I'm going to go visit Florida, Florida.
1: (laughs) So Al was an actor.
3: Instead of a boxer.
1: Right. He didn't use boxing to get out of the orphanage. He used acting. I could swear in the right hand of God, he used boxing to get out of the orphanage.
3: Maybe we change the past instead of the future. (laughs) This is possible. Timelines are malleable. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking about that when he was kind of talking down boxing. I'm like, weren't you a boxer at some point?
1: In the first season? A little bit?
3: Just a little bit. So
1: either, like you said, the timeline has changed or they forgot or Al's full of caca. (laughs) when he's telling Sam about all his experiences. I think all three are equally as possible.
3: You know, if I had a hand link with Ziggy on it, I would probably lie about my past too. No, I was
1: a magician and this is how you do it, Sam. You just cut him in half with this saw and it's all right.
3: <laughs> I have to say though, the script part was brilliant in this one. And and Al really didn't even have to be an actor in this episode. Like his expertise weren't really needed as much as him holding the script. And of course, you know, Sam has a photographic memory. Which so. helps. Yeah. So here, read the play and you got it. Reading the play and acting it for the first time, <laughs> it's got to be really hard.
1: I think it helped that he loved Nicole. So he was able to throw cool. himself into the part.
3: Yeah. And even Al said something about that. It's like, I don't really even know if you're acting.
1: Yeah, are you acting or is this real? I liked that the rehearsals, everybody wasn't perfect in the rehearsals. I liked that Sam forgot his lines. I like that Nicole missed her cue to come in and start singing the song that she did because it's rehearsal and that's what happens. They're they're rehearsing.
3: Plus, I think that her emotions and Ray being right there had something to do with her missing her cue.
1: That makes sense. And uh, she wasn't really singing very well the first few lines. And uh, you could see the director and John O'Malley thinking that she couldn't sing and she's not going to be good as an understudier for the part. But once she got into it, she was amazing.
3: Yeah, I thought she was... Good. I guess she just had to get over her nerves. She looked kind of nervous.
1: I think a little bit had to do with John O'Malley being there and how much she admired him and was a fan of his. So singing in front of him.
3: Right. When I was in musical theater when I was in high school, and I was way too chicken to ever try out for a major part. So I just said, nope, I'm good. I'll be in the chorus because stage fright is a real thing. But once you're up there and you're in the play and you're putting it on and you know, you're, you're in musical mode. You got the costume and the makeup and you're past the first song. You're in it. Like you're good. But that first song, the first moment the curtain goes up, like your heart stops. It's so scary. So I'm sure that the first time performing in front of the, cast and in front of John O'Malley, who she said was her inspiration, and in front of Ray. You know, she had her audition, but not in front of all of those people. Like, those are her peers. So if she messes up, and then she does mess up, and she misses her cue, so then that's on her nerves too. But she pulled it off. So
1: you're in musical theater in school, Al? And you were a lawyer? or (laughs) You you were an understudy and law student last time? and.
3: Well, I don't have that, all of those other things, but I was in musical theater. Okay. So
1: I was in choir when I was a kid, but I lip synced the whole time because I knew I couldn't sing. And the uh, choir instructor knew I lip synced because she knew I couldn't sing also, but it worked out.
3: Well, I was actually in like a pretty awesome show choir before Glee, but we all had to audition to get in. So Hmm. I I at least know I can kind of sing because I had to audition to get in, but we got passes to leave school and sing.
1: If I had to audition, I wouldn't have got in. It was one of those things where you got to take this kid.
3: Oh, we had to sit next to the choir director, sit next to her on the piano and sing happy birthday in her ear while she played the piano. So you wouldn't have to sing in front of the class, which, like I said, is more nerve wracking (laughs) than singing for the teacher. And then she didn't tell you like if you passed or failed, she just picked you and you moved from that class (laughs) to the other class. But it was cool. We got to leave school. And I was in the Thanksgiving Day Parade in two thousand and three four. On NBC. I was. In a brightly colored sweatshirt with white gloves.
1: It looked like an M. M&M. <laughs> Somebody's gonna find that picture and post it.
3: <laughs> Dude, I hope you do because that's awesome. That was such a cool experience.
1: I really liked Manny in this episode. Sancho Panza, played by Ernie Sabella.
3: Isn't he like Pumbaa?
1: He is Pumbaa. How cool awesome. is that? He's Pumbaa in everything. If you go to his IMDb, he's done Pumbaa voice for so many movies, TV shows, video games. It's crazy. Dude, if I could be Pumbaa, I totally would. Well, and it's funny knowing that, watching this episode, he sounds like Pumbaa.
3: He look. I mean.
1: <laughs> doesn't look like Pumbaa. No. He doesn't look he like doesn't. Warthog. He's a no. handsome gentleman.
3: He looks like such a cool guy. Like he, like a goofball. And that's who I would want to be Pumba. Does that make sense?
1: And Sancho Panza.
3: Well, yeah.
1: It works out. Perfect.
3: Yeah. He seems like a really cool guy. And I love Lion King. I think I was I born. when Lion King came out? <laughs> I think it was five. Right. I think we discussed this the other day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was five when Lion King came out. So I loved it growing up. And then as an adult now, you get all the dry humor in the background. And I think I've talked about actually the Lion King and the dry humor in the background. But it's still one of my favorite Disney movies. So having Pumbaa... In one of the Quantum Leap episodes, I kind of geeked out to that.
1: So many people from so many different things. Uh, people from Northern Exposure. I don't know what that is. It's a TV show about Alaska. It's pretty cool.
3: Oh, okay. I've heard of it. Yeah.
1: Right. John Cullum and Janine Turner, they were both in Northern Exposure. So for people who are fans of Northern Exposure, this episode will be really good for them too. Anita, I recognized her. She's played by uh, Maria Lauren, And I thought she was in a bunch of stuff because I'd recognized her. She was in another episode of Quantum Leap which is Leaping Without a Net, which is coming up soon. And she was also in Night Rider, but that's it. So I must have recognized her from Quantum Leap or Night Rider.
3: Maybe she just has one of those faces. Yeah, she's pretty. She was only in like 30 seconds of this show, but she played an important role because the first time I watched it, I didn't know who she was when she came out of the shower. Second time I watched it, I realized that he went to her first at the after party, and then she was in the shower later. So. It helped to deceive
1: Sam a little bit that she was singing the song that Nicole sang in rehearsal. She was, like, humming it.
3: Well, I'm sure hanging out with John O'Malley, she probably runs lines with him and all that stuff. Or she just knows the music. Again, uh,
1: this music is very catchy and it gets stuck in your head because all the actors in the play are actually walking around singing songs from the play when they're not in the play.
3: I'm not even in the show and I'm walking around singing... Nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it on the show. I am I, Don Quixote,
1: Lord of La Mancha. At least you're tone deaf, so you don't even know. I don't even know I'm bad. Yeah. Somebody fix that in post. <laughs> Is there like an autocorrect for that? I think it's called auto-tuner. Yeah. But Manny in this episode, it's funny, uh, he's got a crush on Michelle, and it's uh, pretty bad. And we learned at the beginning of the episode, he places bets on horses.
3: What, was that a horse bet? I think so. But then something in the fifth. I thought it was right. like a baseball game or something. Oh,
1: maybe. I don't know. It was some kind it. of gambling. And then he said, I love you, Ma. I got to go. I was thinking
3: maybe his mom was a gambler.
1: uh Maybe.
3: Maybe his mom is I the, think he
1: was just trying to cover for himself.
3: It would be cooler if his mom was like the... The bookie. Yeah. But, Mom, <laughs> give me my money. Where's my money? <laughs> I was just imagining like an old lady as a bookie.
1: <laughs> All got the words to Oklahoma wrong.
3: Yeah. I, there's another one I haven't seen. Oklahoma? I know. Really? I know. Hmm.
1: Hopefully they do it on an episode of Quantum Leap.
3: Yeah, I have never seen Oklahoma. I really have to watch it. I've, I've tried. Like, I've watched the beginning. Isn't there like an overture? I've, I've started it. I think I fell asleep before <laughs> it started. You know
1: how to spell Oklahoma, though, right? Yes. Whenever I type it out, I always sing the song in my head.
3: I don't even know the song. Is really? I
1: know. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to
3: have to add it to my Bucket Flicks.
1: Yes. <laughs> Bucketflix.com.
3: So... Obviously, it's one of Ray's favorite movies or musicals or something if he was humming it in the waiting room. But I think it's funny that Al gets the words wrong because Al usually like a pro at everything, right?
1: He wasn't looking at his hand link. So that's why he got it wrong.
3: <laughs> so you're saying <laughs> that he might be full of caca. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that theory.
1: Or was he saying the words wrong to cue Sam's memory in musical theater?
3: No, I think he's full of caca. Okay. I just wanted to say that once. But go Sam for bypassing the Swiss cheese brain.
1: Right. Certain things he remembers, other things he doesn't.
3: I've never had to put prosthetics on my face for musical theater. Funny thing, I was, I know it's kind of off topic, but it, it no, it's not. It's really not. When I was a freshman in high school and it was my first musical, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and we were all doing our own makeup. Uh, one of the girls that we were with was like, she looks in my bag and I had like sparkly eyeshadow and she's like, don't put that on because it would not be part of the character. And I was like, I didn't even think about that. But good thinking. I was young. But Al gives Sam like makeup tips. He's like, use this, use the cold cream to get that off and use this. And so obviously Al has put on some prosthetics before. <laughs> but I mean, obviously in some of the plays that he did, he's had to put on some makeup makeup.
1: I, much like Al, believe it or not, the first play I ever did was called Once Upon a Playground. I played Johnny, the boy with the funny nose. So I did wear stage makeup and I wore a big nose. I thought, wow, you know, I have the lead role, the title role in the play. And this is awesome because I'm Johnny, the boy with the funny nose.
3: But everybody laughed at you the whole time because you had a funny nose. I've never seen
1: that. No. You know, years later, I was like, hmm, I might not have gotten that role because i was so good because i only come on the stage at the last scene and i have a short scene (laughs) so i was i was more like a tree but they talked about me the whole play it's just at the end they saw me and i got to kiss the girl
3: hey that's that's good did your nose get in the way
1: a little bit i had to turn my head weird but (laughs) hey you know i was i think 15 so it worked out i did it at the local community theater
3: that's pretty cool yeah it was fun look at us with our backgrounds in theater we're so fancy Next episode, I'll tell you all about how I used
1: to go ghost hunting.
3: <laughs> I'm looking forward to that experience. I have told you about my astronaut background, right? <laughs> I I know I saw the movie
1: based on your life. What was that, Gravity?
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, at least I lived to tell the tale.
1: Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> Oops.
3: <laughs> Damn it, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> that wasn't a spoiler. I was just kidding.
1: It doesn't work like that. You can't go back. <laughs> Al says acting is the first profession, or maybe the second, but he's talking about prostitution too, which is interesting because Dulcinea is a prostitute.
3: What's funny is, I mean, there's always been some form of entertainment, always in in the history books and, you know, even like in the ancient Egyptian, you know, drawings, there's always been some form of, of acting, right, for entertainment, because I guess that's always been a good form of entertainment, watch people put on shows. But I... Didn't know what he meant by the second. Like I didn't know what the first one would be, and then he brought up prostitution. Oh, you didn't and know
1: the oldest profession. That's that's like a standard thing. I think he looked at Nicole's breast a few times too.
3: I think you looked at Nicole's breast a few times. I might have, considering it's half hanging out of her dress. That's another thing about this episode, which is great in
1: high definition for me and people that appreciate such things. Is in standard definition, you couldn't tell that Nicole's areola was hanging out of her dress. But in high definition, at 39 minutes in, it's clearly visible. Which in the U.S. you don't see very often on broadcast television.
3: I think I saw that part of the episode more than the rest of the episode.
1: <laughs> Did I keep rewinding it?
3: Yeah, yeah, I think so.
1: But uh, I think ch- you
3: even sent me like a screen cap. I didn't. I wasn't
1: sure if I should talk about it on the show or not because maybe when they put out the Blu-rays, they'll cut it out.
3: Doubtful. Okay, they don't listen. Do you really think that they're going to be like that Quantum Leap podcast? They know. They know. They're, they're not going to watch it and go, "Hey, look, there's an areola." They're going to go, that Albie, he caught it. We didn't think he would. I don't try to look for those
1: things. I just look for them. <laughs> yeah, right. I mentioned Gerald Ford in this episode, which is a callback to an earlier episode.
3: Right, which I probably wouldn't have gotten that reference. But now you did. But I did. Because you watched... Disco Inferno. Yes.
1: Um, how did you like Don Belisario's direction in this episode? I thought it was pretty good. It did look a little different for me than normal episodes just because when it went to commercial, it was kind of abrupt. Does he control that? I think so. I would say he's got he's in the editing bay with the editor, you know, at the end for the final cut. Hmm. Uh, most episodes, they kind of fade out with a, like a musical cue and they, they fade to black but these, this just cut to black with no real music.
3: It was good. Maybe that was just for the more emotional reasoning. I
1: did notice the lighting was uh, not up to par in this episode. Probably because a lot of the Story took place in the wings of a theater, which would be dark normally, you know, so they were probably lit like a real theater would be. But it looks like when they transferred the film, they tried to brighten it up so you could see it better. So it became very grainy,
3: especially when the first shot of Nicole. I think that's one of the main parts you're talking about. Right. When they show her across the stage or it's like they zoomed in or something. I don't know. It's really it was. I think
1: it had to do with the light. Yeah. Well, it's timed it up so it'd be brighter. But it also revealed the grain really bad. Really bad. Really bad.
3: Well, it didn't take anything away from the episode for me. So, but stage work is dark. I mean, it, it's hard to make that lighter than it already is because the, the parts of the stage that were dark are supposed to be dark. And even the play is dark.
1: I think back then for the standard definition televisions, people really couldn't see what was going on. But if it was filmed today, they would be able to put it dark because of the different contrast ratios we have in modern televisions. We could see it. Um, A good example of this is when I used to watch Angel, the TV show, on my standard definition television. Whenever there was a dark fight scene, me and my buddy, who is my Sancho Panza, by the way, it would always turn into a radio play because you would hear what was going on, but you could never see what was going on no matter how bright you turned up your television.
3: (laughs) See, I... Wasn't that into high definition until a couple years ago? So, my TiVo, I think, was still st- standard definition when I met you.
1: Yeah, I fixed that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but but I think our standard definition, even a few years ago, was better than the standard definition they had in 1989. I think, like, the TV quality was better. Do, do you agree with that or no?
1: It's always getting better all the time, yes.
3: We're never going to be able to keep up. Yeah. It's going to be holograms soon.
1: Dude, holograms, Michael Jackson.
3: Were they like a traveling show? Because they're in Syracuse. But it looks like they're staying in hotel rooms. Or at least John O'Malley is staying in a hotel room. And the after party is at a hotel. Because he goes upstairs. And John O'Malley doesn't
1: mention Nicole as the local girl. Right. So maybe.
3: And the back of the set design says NYCLD. Like New York City Lighting Department or something like that. Limited. Limited. Well, I mean, I don't know. It just says NYC LD on the back of the set, so I don't know if it's like a New York City. But the NYC set. is the important
1: part because right. if it was in just New York, it wouldn't be NYC.
3: Right. Well, you would assume. I think.
1: I th- I think they might be in a traveling company.
3: I don't know why that matters, but I just didn't know because they are in a hotel, right? It's not like an apartment building. I think it's in, I think it's a hotel.
1: John O'Malley definitely is in a hotel. It has a map for a fire escape route on the inside of the door, which hotels do have.
3: This is another episode where Ray does not have a home, or Sam's leap, he never goes home. He
1: does never go home. He must go home at some point, we just don't see it, because he does change.
3: But how does he know, go get his room key? (laughs) Hmm,
1: if he lived in a house and he wasn't in a touring company, he would just look at his ID for an address.
3: Why doesn't he do that?
1: Sometimes he does, for his name. Yeah. Uh, He hasn't done it for his address as far as I know yet. I could just be forgetting.
3: Well, but sometimes if he leaps in and he's in his home, then he's there. But if not, he doesn't usually go home. Hmm. I mean, he did in the last episode because he got a ride home. But this, we did not see his hotel room or anything.
1: He might have just wandered around.
3: He was hanging out on the stage without everybody. He just... Does he not sleep? He doesn't get a day off. I don't remember him sleeping much. He's got to sleep. That's probably why he was angry. He's tired. (laughs) (laughs) He couldn't find his hotel room, and he hasn't slept in a year. The last time I think I saw him sleep was when he was in... Genesis? When he woke up?
1: When he was Tom Stratton in Genesis.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, there wouldn't be an episode of him sleeping, because it's not really exciting. Unless it was, like, all about his dreams or something. Not yet. Oh. Mm. I feel like such a newbie, because everyone else that's listening knows what's coming up, and I have no
1: that's the great part about the show.
3: And I can't believe I haven't been spoiled yet. Isn't that awesome? <sighs> I'm sure you will at some point. you'll be like, Rah! It'll be like the last season. Oh, right. Or in August when we go to Dragon Con. <laughs> People just want to tell you right now, I'm sure.
1: So we learned that the transit strike is over in this episode. Did you notice Manny holding like a newspaper during rehearsals? And it said transit strike over on the front of the newspaper. Did you figure out what that was? Yeah, there was a real transit strike in New York City at the time, and it it worked out right. I was looking for maybe a mistake, but it wasn't. I found it weird that he kept holding it towards the camera the whole time. Like, they told him, just make sure it's on camera, the headline.
3: We paid a lot for this prop. You better get it in the shot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: It was, uh, it didn't look like a real newspaper. It was a little too stiff. Yeah. But,
3: again. They paid a lot for that prop. They had to get it in the shot.
1: (laughs) But it's one of those things that sets the time, you know, things that are going on at the time.
3: You're really good at picking out sets. The sets in this episode were from previous episodes, weren't they?
1: Yeah. Nicole's apartment was kind of a mashup of several different apartments I saw. I know I saw the kitchen cabinets from Blind Faith and uh, I saw a little bit of the apartment from What Price Gloria and Disco Inferno in there. But it was put together different. So I guess that's what they do. They they reuse the same parts and they just rearrange them to make it new. But there was definitely parts that I noticed before.
3: I do not have that. Whatever it is that you can tell that it's the same cabinets, I don't have that. Well, much like Al, I
1: used to be an interior decorator. Aha. So uh, those things just jump right out at me.
3: And like Sam, you have a photographic memory of cabinets. And Areola. Hey, can you put that on your resume? I
1: think it already
3: is. Oh, okay. <laughs> When Sam is sitting in the auditorium, I, I know this sounds silly, but the the seats are wooden with like a red cushion attached to them and they have a little gold number. Well, when I was a kid, I kind of grew up in the weekends. We went to Ocean Grove all the time. My grandma lived in Ocean Grove, so we spent the summers there and, and weekends there. And it's like this little little one square mile town. But the auditorium there is like famous. It's really old and it's beautiful. But the seats looked like the seats in this auditorium here. So that was really cool. It was like a flashback to my childhood a little bit. I think
1: they were in a real theater. They were like, it wasn't a set built. It was definitely a location.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: You wouldn't build that. There's no reason no. to build that. But it was nice to see that theater.
3: Yeah. Well, and and that's probably another reason why the lighting was kind of off because they were in a real theater and there wouldn't be that much lighting backstage on a, like at a real theater.
1: That makes sense. So you mentioned earlier you had a problem with when Al says the earth moved.
3: Yeah, I don't understand that. Isn't that, isn't like the Earth always moving?
1: <laughs> yeah, the Earth is always moving. It's uh, what, what it's spinning, and then it's spinning around an, the sun.
3: Yes, and it's on its in eye, an elliptical
1: eye. orbit. Right. And it's, uh, the whole solar system is moving inside the Milky Way galaxy, which is spiraling <laughs> and moving at the same time.
3: So making the Earth move is not really a big deal.
1: No, I just <laughs> did it right now. I just did it again. Well, I guess I didn't do it.
3: Right. I guess it's a saying
1: before that came about before they knew that the Earth was moving.
3: Maybe it's like you made it move in the other
1: direction. I don't know. I'm thinking like an earthquake. They're oh, thinking,
3: okay, yeah.
1: But uh, I think it was really made up because a few hundred years ago, nobody had an idea that the Earth was moving.
3: Some people, st- I mean, some people
1: still don't. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're right. We don't want to get too controversial again. We'll get letters.
3: Al likes to put Sam on edge. I always, in every episode, Sam always gets put into these situations where he has no idea what to do. And he's stuck without Al, basically. <laughs> he doesn't have the the music or he doesn't have the words or his lines, you know. He needs Al's help. And Al always shows up like 10 minutes too late or five minutes too late, just so Sam has that moment of panic. And then Al shows up in the nick of time. He's like, no big deal. But first, Sam has to s- sweat just a little bit. I think Al does that on purpose. Right. You think he, he's sitting there like, well... Uh, okay now's a good time
1: totally i think he's watching a feed somehow
3: you guys totally miss me looking at my non-wrist watch on yeah. my
1: wrist traditionally before people had phones they would put a timing piece on their wrist so <laughs> i looked at my wrist to imply <laughs> see what i do is i just mime a iphone <laughs> look at the time and you, you keep they can't see me miming the iphone either can they? <laughs> <No>. i'm sorry
3: <laughs> maybe we should turn this into a video podcast no. <laughs> That's like the rolling down the window. Nobody has the, well, you do, but nobody has the rolling windows anymore, but that's still the signal. Mm -hmm. You know, we always talk about Al's wonderful outfits. Mm -hmm. Well, when he shows up to help Sam rehearse, he's wearing like this Paisley Jungle Cat leopard print concoction. Not really even sure what that was about. And then like a leopard tie. Ascot? I don't know. It was very strange. Language. (laughs) You Ascot.
1: (laughs) That was a crazy outfit. It's
3: like somebody threw up on a shirt, like (laughs) different clashing patterns. I guess in the future, they just do what they want. (laughs) There's There's no fashion police in the future. Well, they had to make
1: future clothes out of the clothes that were available at the time. Yeah, this is the 80s future. Right. 1989.
3: I was almost a year old when this episode aired. Was 11 months old. In the past, we have gotten some flack for not knowing if it's Sam's body or the leapy's body, you know, Ray's body, Sam's body. We've determined, right, that this would be Sam's body.
1: Correct. He physically leaps in.
3: So he physically was with Nickel.
1: I see what you're saying. His mind, his soul, and other parts. Right. We're physically with Nicole.
3: I wonder if she was like, you really aren't the race.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like in a good way or a bad way. I'm going to say a good way. Probably good. Probably a good way. It's
3: Sam. It's easy to get that
1: confused. I was watching Quantum Leap the other day on Netflix. Were you? Believe it or not. (laughs) uh, The episode Catch a Falling Star, matter of fact. Huh. And uh, when you go to Netflix, it has a short description of what Quantum Leap is. And it says, physicist Sam Beckett leaps into the bodies of people who need his help.
3: Oh.
1: Getting assistance from a friend from the future who appears as a hologram. So that's the whole description. So even Netflix got it wrong. So I don't feel so bad about us getting it wrong at the beginning.
3: But this brings up like the women, What Price Gloria episode, I should say. Right. That's the only episode
1: so far that Sam has been a woman.
3: So far. I know there are more because a friend of mine was like, I like all the women episodes. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. Spoilers. Well, I mean, it's not really a spoiler, but It's cool that there are more. So if if Sam were to get intimate with someone, well, in a woman's aura, how would that work out? Like, it's like they're not addressing that part. They're just, they're like shoving that topic in the corner and not talking about it.
1: I don't think it comes up. I've seen discussions online about how it would work out, but it's physically Sam. So he would be able to do whatever he needed to do. (laughs) But I mean, the other person wouldn't see anything.
3: But would it be, would it feel different? Because it's a different person. Yes. But you see him as someone else.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Aura. It, I, mm, uh Hmm. Send your feedback <laughs> to podcast at
3: gmail.com. Father Beast, I would yeah. like to hear your thoughts. And Hayden, all of you, you Aura, you Aura believers. Hayden did have an idea for a
1: story about this, but it's hard to talk about on a G-rated podcast.
3: Well, I mean, like... And I'm
1: not even trying to be like... Right. It's just, you wonder, how yeah. would this work out?
3: Now, before, when, has he gotten intimate with anybody? Is this the first time that he's gotten...
1: Not the first time.
3: Honeymoon Express, right? Right. But that was before we discussed this whole aura thing, I think. So back then, I just assumed it. he was like his mind, soul, whatever was in this body. So I didn't even think about that. Now that we are we are on this understanding that it's Sam's body, I'm what, trying to figure out how you pull that off and not be discovered as someone else.
1: You couldn't pull it off cuz it would be attached.
3: <laughs> um, oh, oh, pun. <laughs> this
1: this discussion came up a little bit behind the scenes in what Price Gloria because people were wondering whether or not Sam as Gloria would have to stand up or sit down to use the restroom right so uh, all the experts that chimed in said he could he could stand up or she could stand up Hmm. interesting if we ever talk to Scott Bakula maybe I'll ask him
3: or Donald people's art why don't we ask Deborah Pratt. I,
1: that was one of the questions on the list, but I did not ask.
3: It was a little awkward. Yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> so let's talk about junk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> People's junk. And when you leap into somebody else, whose
3: junk do you have? She'd be like, really? Exactly. So I didn't ask. So I didn't ask. <laughs> Maybe that's a question for Donald P. Belzario, though. Maybe like man to man. I think I could ask could, him. I think I could ask him. So n- I'll, Not I'll, a question for Deborah Pratt. <laughs> I'll put that on the list for him. Maybe we should just ask every everyone you interview that should be a question. <laughs> What's your opinion? On junk. On the, on the situation. <laughs> Sam
1: said to John O'Malley, break a leg. It was a little harsh. Yeah, I think he meant it too. It wasn't the stage break a leg, which means good luck.
3: You think? Yeah, it was a little anger face going on. Break a leg. At that point, he still thought that John
1: and Nicole were together.
3: Yeah, and... Nicole didn't know that.
1: Well, didn't Nicole think Ray and Michelle were together, correct?
3: Right, but Nicole didn't know that Ray thought that Nicole was with John O'Malley. And Ray didn't know that Nicole thought that Ray was with Michelle.
1: It got a little confusing there.
3: Because they would have been like, wait, no.
1: Do you blame Manny for doing what he did? Because what he was promised by Nicole was something that he had wanted the whole time.
3: I'm not a sex-crazed male, but... I could see that he really liked her, so I guess I get it. I mean, if I had a big crush and I didn't care about the other people, sure. But at least he did the right thing in the end.
1: Right after he got what he wanted anyway. Hey. (laughs) Why did Michelle want so bad to ruin the other people's lives that she slept with Manny?
3: Well, she wanted Ray. And she was mad that her role was being taken out from underneath her, basically, just for one show. But still, she's obviously very competitive with this woman because she's got Ray and Michelle doesn't. Michelle has been trying to get Ray. Look at her. She, like, throws herself at him on a daily basis.
1: And Ray wouldn't touch her with Don Quixote's Lance.
3: Manny wants her so much that I think that she just wanted to throw him a bone.
1: Overall, I think it was a good episode. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the music. I enjoyed Scott's performance in this episode, both as Sam pretending to be Ray, and also when it was almost like watching Scott do Man of La Mancha, because his talent was on.
3: Yeah, and I think someone had mentioned as a mistake that John O'Malley went on stage without a beard on, and then he had a beard on later, which if you pay attention, if you know the story of you know Man of La Mancha, he puts the beard on, so there's a mirror kind of shot that they go into. But what I was confused about, I didn't even catch that in the beginning. Before I saw Man of La Mancha, at the end, Sam as Don Quixote has like crazy eyebrows and crazy hair. His hair's sticking straight up. When he's with Sancho and Dulcinea, his hair is out of control and he, it's as crazy as he is, basically. And then they go to the next scene and she's singing Impossible Dream and his hair's all combed. I was like, how did, how did that happen? But Knowing the Man of La Mancha story, it totally makes sense because then he's back to being Cervantes and he's going to his trial. That whole kind of montage that they did of the play was awesome because I knew the story, so I kind of could follow along. But he did so good. Was such a great singer.
1: Um, somebody said on the Facebook that they would love to see a production of Man of La Mancha with Scott Pecula. And I was thinking the same thing while I was watching this. He
3: has done Man
1: of La Mancha in the past. And for those people who did see it, I'm very jealous.
3: Too bad they didn't put on the play for the show and just release it as a special feature.
1: That would be really nice to see it on the bonus features of the Blu-ray.
3: Yeah, that would be really cool because everyone did such a great job in this episode. I mean, the acting was great, but to put on a musical, it takes double talent. You have to act and sing and and it's that much more intense. And so it's really cool that they did that in this episode. And even the like the end credits when they all come out on stage. And
1: that was really nice, which you can't see if you're watching it on Netflix.
3: I know it cuts it out too soon. And you see like the corner and hear what's
1: going on. Right. We had to actually pull out the DVD set to see what happened in the credits.
3: Yeah. Boo, Netflix. (laughs) But uh, that was really cool at the end because you could see that they were proud of what they did they were celebrating the musical, which you would do on like a, like the closing night of the musical, everyone would come out on stage and you'd kind of, you know, all bow and and celebrate. So that was really cool that like the production crew and Donald P. Belisario and Deborah Pratt was there. And that, that was a really cool scene that I'm glad we didn't miss once we pulled out the DVD sets.
1: It was nice to see everybody in the production and it takes so many people to make an episode of Quantum Leap. And I'm sure that represented most, probably not all, But most people that it took to make that episode and it was just a whole bunch of people.
3: And here we are criticizing their mistake. (laughs) But I mean, you don't think about that watching the episode. You don't think about all the behind the scenes people. So that was a good shot to appreciate all of those people to give you like a visual of what really goes into each episode. And uh, we're only what 19
1: episodes in, I think of Mm -hmm. the production uh, schedule for Quantum Leap, and uh, they have their stuff together, and that whole group of people seemed to me to act like almost a family. They had been doing it for a season and a half, and you could see the love that they had for what they were doing when they all came out like that.
3: Well, I mean, you work with a certain crew of people every single day, and these people are doing what they love next to these people. So that's got to be a bonding experience. When you see the -the behind-the-scenes footage on any kind of DVD, you know, like you watch the Star Trek behind the scenes footage or even Enterprise. I know you've been watching lately, especially with Scott Bakula. They all just seem like such a family. I'm sure being with the same people for 18 hours a day, you know, they do long days, especially the production crew, like the actors come and go for their parts. But camera guys are there all day long. They have a longer day than the people we see on screen every day. It was like a kind of a glimpse into behind the scenes of Quantum Leap.
1: It was really nice to see. Um, Heather, overall impressions of Catch a Falling Star?
3: Given my theater background that we've discussed, it kind of hits home because I know more about it. Like, I don't connect as well to a boxer episode as I do to a musical theater episode. So I think I really connected with this episode. Also, the emotional acting in this episode was great. I really, really liked this one, and and it wasn't a rough topic to talk about. It was a fun episode, and I really, really liked talking about this one. As much as I was complaining about the music stuck in my head Mm -hmm. all week. That's only because it's good. Yeah. I mean, it it is good, but stuck in my head when I wake up in the morning and when I go to sleep at night. I'm singing Man of La Mancha. So, given that, I, I really, really liked this episode. What about you?
1: I enjoyed it. It is definitely going on my top 10 list right now. I mean, there's a lot more episodes coming, so it might get booted at some point. But for right now, it's definitely in my top 10.
3: Are there like 30 episodes on your top 10 list?
1: Probably because I like a lot of things. (laughs) But uh, it's really enjoyable. And I think that's why I did watch it seven times now, because I just loved it every time. And it didn't get old for me.
3: I think it was very important to include a lighthearted episode after last week's episode.
1: Yeah, if it kept going rougher and darker and darker, I don't know.
3: Yeah, I think that there's no real rule on which order, you know, the episodes go in because he's leaping. There's no, there's no boundaries. I mean, he can leap into anything. So why not have a lighthearted episode after a serious episode?
1: Was there any moral meaning or message we could take away from this episode? Did we learn anything? Don't get drunk. <laughs> Dr- drinking's bad. You'll break a hip. Yeah. Was there
3: something that we can pull out of this? Jealousy? Is that something maybe? I don't really think there was a moral lesson in this episode as much as there normally is, because I think that there was a lot of moral issues in the last one, that I think that this one was just a fun one.
1: They all don't have to have a lesson. Right, because you don't want to feel like you're being schooled. This one was more think about the characters and a little bit of character development for Sam Beckett.
3: And I think you just got to see more of his personality in this one.
1: If for nothing else, this episode is great for just watching Scott Bakula do what little bit of Man of La Mancha we
3: saw I would like to see the rest of it at some point
1: if someone has a home video from years ago of him doing it send it to quantumlypodcast at gmail.com
3: by him doing it we mean the play
2: (laughs) (laughs) do you often find yourself wanting to listen to two random strangers discuss TV news and events do you watch a show and think to yourself I wonder what other people thought of that episode are you the kind of person who likes hearing other people's opinions do you watch a lot of television are you tired of all these questions if you answered yes to any of these questions then you're in luck there's a podcast out there just for you it's called tv for vendetta come listen to brian van alston and michael demko discuss the tv news and reviews of the week tv for vendetta
5: the radio station in Chester's Mill
0: may have burned down, but you can still hear hits like And they're still having fun, Chester's Mill's the one. And Splish Splash the egg was taking a bath, deep below a the filled lake. Rub a double Julia some not flub making this decision in haste.
5: All thanks to Under the Dome Radio. This summer, Troy and Wayne return to discuss what happened when we were...
0: Blinded by the light. Wrapped up in the noose as the dome, it turned to white. Blinded by the light. Holding on to a lever As the dome turned to white Be but sure I to set the dial of your podcasting light. app To Hold Under the Dome radio, the the radio And keep the propane donations flowing
2: At
4: Under the Dome Radio, the dome radio.
5: A proud member of the Noodle Mix Network
1: <laughs> Hey guys Aaron with The Hollywood Outsider here. I don't have long, so I need you to listen up. I'm going to debrief you about our new show where we're discussing the exciting new event series, 24, Live Another Day. Every week, we're going to go over the latest episode, where we think the show is heading, and our listeners' thoughts. It's also called 24, Live Another Podcast. You can download each episode to your PDA of choice through iTunes, Stitcher, or go to the website directly at thehollywoodoutsider.com slash 24. Okay, now that's all I can tell you right now. They're listening. So why aren't you? I gotta go, guys. I'm running out of time.
0: triumph at last I am I Don Quixote the Lord of La Mancha But know thee with all of my heart Half a prayer, half a song Thou hast always been with me Though we have been always apart Dulcinea I see heaven when I see Thee, Dulcinea, and Thy name is like a prayer, an angel. sought thee son thee dreamed the dulcinea now i found thee and the world shall know thy glory Foe to bear with unbearable sorrow, to run where the brave dare not go, to right the unrightable wrong, to love pure and chaste from afar, to try your arms are too weary to reach the unreachable star this is my quest to follow that star no matter how hopeless no matter how far to fight for the right without question or pause To be willing to march into hell For a heavenly cause And I know if I'll only be true To this glorious quest That my heart will lie peaceful and calm When I'm laid to my rest And the world will be better That one man, scorned and covered with scars, still strove with his last ounce of courage to reach the unreachable. It's been a long time since I've been in control. You know what I mean. You can't tell anyone who you really are. You can't change your personal history. You can't. I can't have a life. All I do is is live someone else's life. I write their wrongs, fight their fights. Jeez, I feel like I'm Don Quixote. This is Carolyn Fimo, and you're
2: listening to the Quantum News Podcast.
3: I'm very excited... To welcome two new members to our Quantum Leap crew. We have an article written by Jill Arroway, which is exciting all on its own.
1: You might know her from The Signal. She is a writer and producer for The Signal, and their 10th season is coming to an end, and she is going to help us out now. So we're really excited to have her on board.
3: Yes, we're very honored that she wrote us an article. And it's being read by Tawny Finneran. Yay. Yay. She's a fellow TV talk host. And she also has a Vampire Diaries podcast at VampireDiariesPodcast.com. She does the TV talk podcast for the originals. And she has a podcast called Mommy's Cocktail Hour at Mommy'sCocktailHour.com. So we're really excited to add her to our crew as well.
1: Our crew is growing and growing and with great talent. So thank you.
3: And without further ado, here's Tawny with Jill's article.
4: A cliffhanger experiment which went a little caca, by Jill Arroway, read by Tawny Finnerin. What do the following episodes of Quantum Leap have in common? Double Identity, The Americanization of Machiko, and All Americans. Answer, they all end with Sam leaping into the episode, The Color of Truth. Every time I rewatch Quantum Leap, the one thing which always bugs me is when the teaser at the end of an episode is not followed through at the start of the next one, For years, I assumed that the episodes were simply in the wrong order on the DVDs. I assumed that getting it right would be a simple matter of ripping the DVDs and then rearranging the episodes, doing the jigsaw as it were, so that the cliffhanger at the end of each episode would dictate which episode came next. But then I did the research, and it turns out I was wrong. There can't simply be three episodes, all of which precede The Color of Truth. That's not the only error. Play it against Seymour ends with a teaser for What Price Gloria? But the next episode is, in fact, Honeymoon Express. How the test was won leads into Double Identity, but so does Freedom. Double Identity leads into Kamikaze Kid, but so does A Portrait for Trojan. Both Genesis and Maybe Baby lead into Starcrossed. Both Runaway and Animal Frat ends with a teaser for Another Mother, and the Season 3 episode, A Little Miracle, ends with the teaser for the season 2 episode, Bride, A teaser which, incidentally, is not shown in the actual episode before Seabride. Doing the jigsaw is impossible. I can't think of any in-universe explanation for all this wibbly-wobbliness. I imagine Sam leaping into that bar, sitting at that counter, looking into that mirror, and seeing the face of Jesse Tyler for the third time and thinking, NOT AGAIN! It's sloppy. At least it's my opinion. Maybe you can excuse the original production. After all, who knows what pressure they were under. But they had plenty of time to fix it for the DVD release. Why did they not do so? They could have done. I'm tempted to do it myself. I have a tool called AVDMux, a free video editor, which is capable of doing lossless cutting and pasting of MP4s. And I'm seriously considering taking a razor blade to those cliffhangers and putting right what once went wrong. I also have another observation on the end of episode cliffhangers. There are four stories which end with no next episode teaser at all. One of those, of course, is Mirror Image, the last ever episode, and that makes a lot of sense. Another is MIA, the last episode of season two. But I have a hypothesis regarding the other two, the lead back and Lee Harvey Oswald. My hypothesis is that The Leap Back, which aired as Season 4, Episode 1, was originally intended to be the last episode of Season 3, and that likewise, Lee Harvey Oswald, which aired as Season 5, Episode 1, was originally intended to be the end of Season 4. The Leap Back would work great as a climactic end-of-season story. The preceding episode's stand-up leads straight into it, and it ends with no clue as to what might come next, as you might expect for an end-of-season story, the showrunners might not know at the time how they were going to start the next season. I don't think The Leap Back works that great as a season opener. Aside from having a no teaser for Playball, Playball seems weak by comparison. All of the same arguments apply to Lee Harvey Oswald. The story is somewhat less powerful to non-American viewers, but I can easily imagine the show's creators thinking from a U.S. point of view. TV networks love their end of season cliffhangers, so I can well imagine them creating one artificially by changing the placement of the season break. I could be wrong, but it makes sense to me. That's enough nonsense from me. I promised Heather and Albie that I would write about my favorite episodes, and I will, but we haven't reached them yet. In the meantime, I hope this little observation piece amuses someone.
1: Great observations, Jill. Thank you so much. And uh, we can't wait to hear more from you. And uh, it's very exciting to have you on board.
3: Yeah, I had no idea that there were that many inconsistencies with the previews. You would think they would have fixed that by now.
1: Maybe when they re-release it in high def. Probably not. But just just do it. Don't Just send it off. <laughs> yeah, for the ones that weren't filmed for it, I guess they can't really do anything.
3: Yeah, but at least fix the ones that have the one preview for three different shows. <laughs> it would
1: have been great if they just made a preview for a show that they didn't do and you never saw the rest of that story
3: oh we would be (laughs) dying for it this whole time someone
1: would
6: have had a written fanfic for it
1: yeah that would be cool (laughs) and we have some feedback this is an email from phil
6: hi there albie and heather i just stumbled across your podcast while looking for some podcasts of my favorite shows and i listened to your podcast of the pilot episode of quantum leap earlier today I really enjoyed listening to you guys talking about a show I've loved for a long time. My name is Phil, and I live in Sydney, Australia. I watched a lot of Quantum Leap episodes with my mother when I was younger, and they first aired here, and right now, I'm introducing my fiancé Brittany to the show. Brittany is American, and like Heather, she was very young when the show first aired. I've got a full series DVD box set of Quantum Leap, and so far we've gotten most of the way through Season 1, and Brittany really likes it. I can't wait for her to see some of the amazing episodes that happen later in the series. Anyway, I just wanted to say that I really dig your podcast, and I'm definitely going to keep listening. Quantum Leap is narrowly my second all-time favorite show after Lost, so it's awesome having a podcast about the show to listen to. Keep up the great work. Cheers, Phil.
1: Thank you, Phil. And he likes our first episode. I recently went back and listened to it, and it sounded like we recorded it with two tin cans and a piece of string.
3: Well, I hope that we keep up the good work. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, It has good content in that first show, but it just sounds horrible to me because we had bad equipment back then. But now we have good equipment. So
3: now we're fancy.
1: We're all fancy and schmanchy.
3: Is it bad that I wanted to say he's from Australia, Hayden? Do you know him? Yeah. And
1: Everybody in Australia knows each other, right? <laughs> it can't be that big of a place.
3: And I was like, I'm not going to be that person. But then I just had to say it
1: because it was just that funny. He'll uh, be like, of course I know Phil. He's from Sydney. <laughs> uh, it's great that people listen all over the world. And it's awesome that his fiance is young like you are. So go Phil.
3: And this one's from Ben Mycheck.
6: Hi, guys. Great job with the podcast. What would you do next after you finish Quantum Leap?
1: We took a year off between the Terra Nova podcast and the Quantum Leap podcast just because we were having a baby. And that uh, takes up a lot of time.
3: Yeah, podcasting was not on her top priorities. <laughs>
1: And we have a few more years to go on this podcast to get through all the episodes. So I have some ideas in my head. Pretty much it has to be something that I'm passionate about and really love and something I would like Heather to see. Or maybe it will be something that Heather really loves and wants me to see. Don't know yet.
3: We're thinking My Little Pony, um, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, (laughs) um, maybe Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood.
1: Uh, Rainbow Dash is my favorite. And Pinkie Pie. Are you a brony? Almost. Not quite by proxy. You're a brony by Pop <laughs> Renny likes ponies. So it'll have to be something that we're passionate about and somebody else hasn't already did it. Just today I looked for an Alien Nation podcast because I thought maybe that'll be something fun to do after we finish Quantum Leap. But there is one. Hmm. So now I downloaded that and I'm going to listen to it. I was like, okay, I don't have to make that one. <laughs> but uh, I don't think we'll know until we know. And that'll be a while away.
3: Well, I know that you were shocked that there wasn't a Quantum Leap one. So we kind of lucked out because there wasn't already a Quantum Leap podcast.
1: There always should have been, but now there is.
3: Maybe we'll restart the signal.
1: <gasps> Ooh, <laughs> signal, season 11, the fan signal. Those are way too big of shoes to fill.
3: Yeah, I couldn't do that.
1: <laughs> Maybe we'll just start over again at Genesis. I
3: yeah. don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think I just, I just don't want to listen to Man of La Mancha again.
1: (laughs) I am I, Don Quixote, the Lord
3: of La Mancha. I'm not even really sure what accent you have when you do this. I don't know. Oh, I'm really sorry for the three times that he has uh, now blessed you with his voice. Thank you for those emails. On our Facebook page, we asked,
1: what are some of your favorite musicals? Hayden said, Wicked.
3: I have never seen the musical I read the book, but I I yearn to see the musical. I like the music. Me too. I have listened to the soundtrack, and I love Idina Menzel and Kristen Chenoweth, and I feel like I would absolutely love Wicked on, on Broadway.
1: Brian Smith says, Man of La Mancha is in my top three. When this episode aired, I was in heaven. It was the most amazing mix of my faves.
3: That's cool. Yeah, it's a good one, but I think I'm just bitter because it's stuck in my head still. Aaron Watson said, The Producers. I like the producers. I've seen the movie. That one was good. I've seen
1: the movie and I saw The Traveling troupe. It was really good. Uh, great music, uh, great story, funny. And that's another one of those things that it's a musical based on a movie. And now it became a movie again, based on the musical, based on the movie. A lot of that stuff going on.
3: Yeah, especially in this episode. Craig Drebbit says, nobody said Phantom of the Opera yet? I love, love,
1: love, love Phantom of the Opera. I saw it live. And of course, I've seen the movie. I don't know how many times. Great story. Great music.
3: I was supposed to go see it in New York City in eighth grade, and I was sick. I was so bummed. I would have went sick. Well, I was a kid. I didn't really get to make my own decisions back then. But I do love the movie, and I've seen the recording of it on Broadway, and it's amazing. And of course, I love the soundtrack.
1: Yeah, it's really good. It's it's good every time I see it. And uh, my coworkers at work don't like when I sing along to the album.
3: I'm sure. I'm sure just like these people that are listening don't like when you sing along to I, Don Quixote.
1: But uh, Venom of the Opera is amazing.
3: Um, The last one is from Gene Malone. He said chess. Now, I've never heard of chess, the musical, but it is a musical.
1: I have the CD.
3: Really? It's very good. I've never heard of it. It says with music by Benny Anderson and Bjorn Olvaeus, formerly of ABBA. Right. And the lyrics by Tim Rice. So I don't know why I haven't heard of it, because I know most of those people.
1: I just like the music. I've never seen the story. I have no idea what the story is about, but I listen to the music.
3: I was very fortunate as a child to live in New Jersey, and my grandmother and I loved musicals. So she would bring me to New York City, and I have seen Lion King on Broadway, I think right when it opened. I've seen Cats live on Broadway before the show uh, closed. I actually sat in the front row, right front row center. She said... Whenever the next available front row center show is and we went, which was really cool because in intermission, they stay out there as cats and interact with you, which is awesome, especially when you're a kid. And I've seen Beauty and the Beast on Broadway on I mean, this is in New York City, Broadway. So that was really cool. Um, I've also been to, you know, musicals locally now that I live in Florida. I've, you know, been to the musicals here and they're also really great. I, we saw Wedding Singer and I've seen, I saw Fiddler on the Roof. So what is your favorite musical or musicals? My favorite one that I've seen live is definitely The Lion King. I also like uh, Finding Nemo is kind of similar at Disney World. I, for some reason, it's so different that I love it because it's not just people on a stage. It's, it's different. As far as ones I haven't seen live, I don't know if that's kind of cheating.
1: No, musicals musical.
3: But Rent would have to be my favorite musical of all time.
1: That's a good one.
3: Yeah. I, I, I went out on a, on a limb and bought the DVD the first day it came out before even seeing it, which is, I didn't even know what it was about. And I think I've seen it since then so many times. I could probably recite the whole thing. And I remember watching all the behind the scenes footage because I the first time I watched it, I was so in love with it. And then we went and saw the live performance at the movie theater and I, we bought the Blu-ray. And so I, I'm definitely a big fan of Rent. I mean, there's so many musicals that I love. I, there are, is rarely a musical that I don't like. But I think Rent is probably my favorite. So what's your favorite musical?
1: I like Rent as well. I saw it in the movie theater when it first came out. Chicago, the movie, I really enjoyed. I saw it live. Uh, with a traveling troupe, didn't like it as much. I guess you have to use your imagination more than the live version. But I guess I was so used to the movie that it just didn't live up to my expectations.
3: Do you think when that happens, it's your first impression you like better?
1: Might be. I don't know. But uh, I enjoy the music. I enjoy the movie. My first exposure to musicals was my mother, when I was about eight years old, took me to Brookdale Community College in Monmouth County, New Jersey. And I saw a performance of Damn Yankees. And I thought I was seeing magic on stage, just people dancing and singing and telling a story. And they were just all doing it for me, is what I thought at the time. (laughs) Um, But it was just so amazing that I was hooked on musical theater from then on.
3: So the world revolved around you even when you were eight? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Les Miserables, that's a good one. Movie was good, saw it live, pretty good.
3: Funny thing about that is I performed all of the songs in my musical theater class. We did all the music Didn't see the movie, the full movie, until recently, and I still haven't seen them play live. So, But it's good. It's just so not the normal musical. It's very, it's not depressing. It kind of is depressing. But the French Revolution, well, the beginning of the French Revolution, I guess. This is pre-revolution? I don't know. But it's not really a happy time. Two, four, six, oh, one. People are going to love this episode because you (laughs) sing the whole time. Albie's singing debut.
1: The all singing, all dancing.
3: Yeah. They don't know you're not dancing.
1: I can't think of a musical I didn't like.
3: Yeah, I've seen, oh, and Mamma Mia I saw live too. I forgot about that on Broadway. Great movie. I always wanted to see Moving Out because I love Billy Joel.
1: I saw Moving Out live. It was amazing. Twyla Thurp and Billy Joel music together. It, was, it took me a minute to get into it because it was like interpretive dance meets Billy Joel, but the story was really good. And at the end, I was applauding like crazy.
3: Yeah, well, Mamma Mia, I thought was going to be weird because I'm like, they just took ABBA music and made a musical out of it. But it was really good. And then the movie was very similar to the play. So that was cool, too.
1: Producers Live was really good. Yeah. I like the Young Frankenstein soundtrack. I never saw it live.
3: I have to say Seven Brides for Seven Brothers was better live. I It's weird because I saw the movie first, but I definitely liked the live. We also did a lot of music from Aida, and I would love to see that musical, too.
1: The Wedding Singer Live was really good.
3: Yes, it was. It was very similar to the movie. But I love that song. I want to grow old with you. It's
1: a great song. Yeah, singing in the rain live was good. Sound oh the yeah,
3: they're they're all. I I I really haven't seen one that I that I haven't liked.
1: So we like musicals.
3: Yeah, I think I think so. Just a little bit. There are many ways to contact us at the Quantum Leap podcast.
1: First off, you can go to quantumleappodcast.com. dot com.
3: You can also reach us on Facebook at facebook.com dot slash quantumleapodcast.
1: You can. See us on Instagram at Quantum Leap Podcast.
3: You can tweet us at Quantum Leap Pod.
1: We are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast.
3: You can call us at
1: 707-847-6682.
3: And our email address is quantumleappodcast at gmail.com.
1: And it would be great if you contacted us.
3: Yes, we would love to hear from you. We've been getting more emails lately, and that's great. We love to hear from, from everybody, and we love to hear the facebook responses and any way you can reach out to us we want to know what you think of how we're doing or maybe not (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah we want to know what you think about the episode we're doing or the episodes we've done you know what's your favorite part of the episode we we want to hear from you
1: and now we have a segment from hayden all about
3: the burger theory the burger theory i'm intrigued.
5: Season two is the renaissance period of Quantum Leap. It could not be a renaissance, though, without a musical episode, which is what Catch a Falling Star provides. This episode is what I call triple threat porn, and I use the term porn deliberately because the writing of this episode purposefully makes an object of Scott Bakula's acting abilities, theatrical abilities, and musical abilities as service to his fans. This isn't a bad thing. When you have such a talented triple threat porn star that is Scott Bakula, why wouldn't you want to utilize it as much as possible to make your artwork shine? Having seen just the tidbits of this faux Syracuse production of Man of La Mancha that this episode provides, I now really want to see a full theater production of Man of La Mancha starring Scott Bakula. If this has actually been done, could somebody please let me know where I can view it? But this really got me thinking. The Quantum Leap universe is so large and with such a massive overarching story, combined with the self-contained story of each episode centred around characters that we usually only see for that episode but whose lives we get so engrossed and involved in, is a 45-minute episode really enough to satisfy? Quantum Leap, being a show so heavily focused on the people that Sam encounters and the situations they're in, actually gave a great deal of spin-off potential. It's a shame that nobody who worked on the show ever realised this, as it could have enabled the Quantum Leap universe a chance to further expand and remain on our screens for a greater amount of time. I personally would have loved to see Diane McBride, Bounty Hunter, starring Jane Sabette, an idea she herself has told me she'd love to do, as a continuation of the Season 3 episode, A Hunting We Will Go. She could have ended up being the dog long before the dog was ever created. Discussing the idea of Quantum Leap spin-offs on our Facebook page led to a lot of great possibilities. They included a series about the mainstreaming of Jimmy, a show centred around the evil Quantum Leaping project, an expansion on the characters from the trilogy, the amazing adventures of Bobo the Chimp. Let's hope he made it into space. A Laverne and Shirley-type sitcom about Gloria and Samantha and Sam Beckett's children leaping to try to find Sam and return him home. There are countless other possibilities, and with every leap Sam takes, there's another person or group of people whose stories could be expanded on. I don't work in the television industry, so I have no idea how it works, but if we all start jotting down ideas, creating some scripts for pilots, and submitting them to the right people, we could show there's still a great deal of love for the show and the countless characters we've encountered. And hopefully something could be made to get the Quantum Leap universe back on our screens. It should never have been taken off in the first place. I also wanted to add on to Albie's burger theory, which is the theory that every episode on the show has a reference to the episode that precedes it. In Blind Faith, there is pandemonium on the streets because the Beatles are playing on the Ed Sullivan show. In the next episode, Good Morning Peoria, Sam mentions playing a song by the Beatles. Rachel doesn't know who he's talking about and asks Sam if he meant Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Buddy Holly died in an aeroplane crash, and so did Danny Bosch, the son of Irene and Joe in the next episode, Thou Shalt Not. In both Thou Shalt Not and the next episode, Jimmy, Sam leaps into an uncle and ends up helping and saving his niece or nephew. At the end of Jimmy, Connie tells Sam, God bless you. And in the next episode, So Help Me God, It ends up being a Bible passage that puts Myrtle's mind at ease and convinces her to reveal the truth, which ends up saving Delilah. Speaking of Delilah, everyone thinks she is using sexual advances to get Sam or Leonard to help her catch a falling star. Michelle actually does use sex to coerce Nanny into helping her get revenge against Nicole. It's true, all the episodes appear to be linked. We'd love to hear what links you can see between the episodes as well. Finally, something I forgot to talk about in the last episode, in So Help Me God, we actually get the first hint of somebody seeing through the aura that surrounds Sam. Sadie Carter actually comments twice about how Leonard doesn't appear himself, stating that she thinks he looks older and haggard. Even though Sam was under a great deal of stress from the case, it's doubtful that it would have that much of an effect on the aura. Now, it's clear that Sadie was not in her right mind from the trauma of the shooting, and without being too spoilery, it is established in later episodes that the mentally ill are able to see Sam and Al. So it makes sense that, at the very least, she'd be seeing something that's not quite right about Leonard. Maybe not to the point where she can see Sam, but at least to the point where she doesn't think that Leonard is quite right. Maybe, like Sam himself with Lila she too can see into his eyes as the window to Sam's soul. Until next time, start jotting down some ideas about ways to continue and spin off Quantum Leap and hopefully the powers that be will see in our eyes exactly what we want and give it to us. Break a leg.
1: Hayden has definitely taken it to the next level, and he has found connections that I even missed. Because I'm following along with the burger theory, but he's seen things that I haven't, which is great. So it might really continue through the whole series. Thanks, Hayden. And it was nice to hear his voice.
3: Hey, yeah. It's all Aussie and stuff.
0: (laughs) You're a... Kind of a New York guy You started on Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. I lived here for ten years. Wow. Seventy-six to eighty-six, and I came back in eighty-eight to do a show on Broadway. And what kind uh, of Broadway shows were you doing? Stuff. Mostly musicals. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you're a singer as well. Yeah. I yeah. think a lot of people wouldn't know that about you. Uh, probably not. Probably not. I mean, I started here. You know, I tried to. You know, ironically, I tried to be on Broadway my whole career. I was here. I understudied a couple of shows. I had a couple of shows close quickly. Really. You no. Know? Yeah. Really quickly. And uh, and then I moved to LA, and then I got a show that ran here. So I. Came what was back. the show that you got? Romance, like... romance.
6: Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, tap yeah. dancing, singing, song. That... Uh, yeah, no tap
0: dancing, but uh, singing. Lots, lots of singing. Did you
6: ever want to do a quantum leap, like leap into like Ethel Merman, like to do
0: like that? That worked out great. I'm just trying to conjure up a little Ethel Merman right now, and I can't. You know what she used to sing? <laughs> yeah.
6: That was one of her big numbers, that was, uh, I think. Yeah, it was uh. <laughs>
3: Heather, do you have some trivia for us? Yes, I do. Well, I have some kind of slip-ups that I saw, that I actually saw in the show. I feel so proud. This wasn't really a slip-up, but you could tell that Scott had a little trouble putting on his gloves, but he handled it so well. He was very professional about it. So that was not really a slip-up, but kudos to Scott for that one. And... At the after party, John O'Malley's glass keeps going back and forth from a full glass of ice to a half glass of ice to a full glass of ice to a half glass of ice, depending on what shot.
1: I did not see that until you pointed it out and then I could not see it.
3: Yeah. And it was weird because they were like weirdly humongous, fake looking squares of clearness.
1: Well, they do that (laughs) so the ice doesn't melt over time and cause continuity errors. But a couple of them must have fell out when he was falling over drunk.
3: Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) John Cullum, who plays John O'Malley, who plays Cervantes, who plays Don Quixote, who plays.
1: Sorry, I just caught a pattern.
3: Okay. Well, he was actually the alternate Cervantes Don Quixote during the Man of La Mancha's original run on Broadway. How cool is that? That was really neat to get him for that role.
1: They must have did that on purpose. Oh, probably. That's awesome
3: and Ernie Sabella actually played Sancho in the 2002 Broadway revival of Man of La Mancha.
1: I did know that, which is awesome too. I wonder if he used his clips from Quantum Leap to get him in there.
3: Look, I've already done this. I've Here done you it. go. It.
1: He makes a good Sancho Panza for real.
3: Yeah. And it's funny cuz if you watch the movie, he's so similar to the character in the movie. I did not know that Scott Bakula was nominated for a Tony Award in 1988, but it doesn't shock me at all. I'm I'm actually kind of shocked he didn't win. Because he's awesome.
1: He's amazing. He gets the Quantum Leap Podcast Award.
3: Well, and, he, and it was even for Best Actor in a Musical for Romance, Romance, which I, I do not know that musical, but I know that Scott Bakula is awesome. So.
1: I think there's a CD out, so that's on my wish list as of now.
3: Okay. The music in this episode is actually the music from the original Broadway production of Man of La Mancha. It's not, it wasn't created for this episode, so they just sang over the original
1: That's good. That's good. The music was really good in in the background, the whole episode, pretty much.
3: Yeah. And there was another kind of slip up we didn't talk about earlier. Um, They use the scene of Dulcinea walking towards the camera twice, even though the second time it's supposed to be Nicole and it's still Michelle.
1: Right. And you see Nicole in the background background. in the pink dress when Nicole is supposed to be playing Dulcinea.
3: Whoops. Yeah.
1: And I didn't notice it the first time.
3: Right. I didn't either. And but I did notice it the second time because I was I was confused a little. But small screen standard. And, and again,
1: death. it's something that if you didn't know, you might not notice. But it looks like because the Dulcinea are hard to tell apart from a distance. Right. But the fact that Nicole's
3: in the pink dress in the background. And it's the exact same scene. <laughs> well, I think they probably didn't. Or they didn't think about putting that in the episode until they were in the editing room and said, you know what, we'll just put that in twice. And so you get like a continuity thing for the play. And
1: if you were watching it once when it was on television, it was perfectly fine because you probably didn't notice.
3: And you weren't as nitpicky as we were. We're not
1: nitpicky. We're...
3: It's out of love. Yes. We're nitpicking out of love. It's...
1: Out of appreciation.
3: Is that, is that a thing? I think so. <laughs> Before I saw this episode, when I saw the title, I started singing Catch a Falling Star... And you thought I was crazy.
1: I never heard the song. Could you sing a few bars for us? No. Please?
3: No. Please? <sighs> you you sang enough for the both of us in this episode. The song is a Perry Como song written by Paul Vance. It was from 1957. But I know it from Love Actually. It was just one of my favorite movies. I know... That is probably not a lot of people's favorite movies, but it's one of my favorite. I don't care what time of year it is. It doesn't have to be Christmas. It is my favorite movie. I and, love it, actually. But you don't remember the song from the movie. And no. I know I've made you watch it a million times.
1: Is that where they're dressed up like a little Christmas lobster?
3: Yeah, they're all dressed up as Something. weird. And there's a little kid with a Spider-Man face. <laughs> and they they sing on the stage, Catch a Falling Star.
1: Okay, now I remember. Next time, we are talking about the Quantum Leap episode, a portrait for Troyan.
3: Now, I want to know why they named it after Troyan, but she's not in the episode. I got confused
1: before we started watching this as well because Troyan isn't in an episode, so I just assumed she was in this episode. She's in Another Mother, which is coming up soon. Troyan Belisario is actually the daughter of Deborah Pratt and Donald P. Belisario, which you may know, and she is now in Pretty Little Liars, I believe. Mm hmm. So she's an actress herself, but she did an episode where she played a little girl when she was a little girl, coming up in Another Mother. So we'll see that down the road a little bit. But the next episode is called A Portrait for Troyan, and Deborah Pratt plays the title character of Troyan. Huh.
6: Did you hear him? Oh boy. Julian, you must have heard him.
0: I don't think so. But he kept calling my name over
6: and over again Troyan. Julian? Troyan.
0: Well, there there is something.
6: How can that be? julian has been dead for three years.
0: Al, I think I'm... I think this Dr. Mintz might be driving her over the edge with all this mumbo-jumbo. This Tim Mintz is legit as they come. Besides, I think he's crazy about her. Well, I just came from the waiting room. All he can worry about is Troyan, And for good reason. Because in two days, she's going to drown in the same lake that her husband did. Three years ago,
5: Julian was in the
0: rowboat posing for the painting. But that day after ten minutes, he was bored. Before I realized it, he was in the lake. He was a superb swimmer. By the time I realized anything was actually wrong, it was too late. If I were you, man, I would pack up my little Ouija board and be gone by dawn. Ah, look at this. Do I have to? Here's your ghost. Oh, oh see.
3: This one I'm not really sure. I thought at first kind of a Sherlocky Holmes thing, but there's ghosts and oh boys. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where, where it's gonna go. But they don't give you much. I'm excited to see Deborah Pratt though.
1: We get to see a lot of her talent in the next episode, so I'm super excited for you to see that. And also, Sam leaps into Donald P. Belisario. I
3: I didn't in this next episode.
1: Yep, he plays the leapy in the mirror. It's awesome.
3: I had no idea. I didn't know they were both in the next episode. They
1: are. So if you haven't seen the next episode, watch it and look for Donald P. Belisario. And I think you might notice Deborah Pratt and also Carolyn Seymour, which we talk to in the next episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast.
3: So that wraps up Catch a Falling Star. It's a really good episode, musicals and stuff. I don't know if I'm going to be into the ghost as much, but I'm I'm really excited about Deborah Pratt and Donald P. Belisario being in the episode. How cool is that?
1: Until next time. I am
3: Albie. And I'm Heather. And remember, if you ever see someone talking to themselves, yell Sam and see if they turn around.
0: Leaping into other people's lives, I feel a lot like Don Quixote, a stranger out of place and time on an impossible quest, sent to right the unrightable wrong, to fight the unbeatable foe. And the wild winds of fortune will carry me onward. Oh, so ever they blow with so ever they blow onward to glory I
2: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. Go to QuantumLeapPodcast.com and listen to new episodes. The Quantum Leap Podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal TV. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get behind-the-scenes information, exclusive content, and to be notified first when new episodes are available. To support the podcast, you can go to Patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, Barron Space Productions, its partners, or affiliates. Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, John Buchanis, and Juan. Research by Juan. Contributors Hayden McQueenie and Jill Arroway. Voice talent provided by John Buchanus, Tony Fennerin, and Juan. The co-producer for the Quantum Leap Podcast is Hayden McQueenie. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is property of Belisarius Productions and Universal TV. No infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production.
1: Going back. Don Quixote and Sancho oh, Sancho, uh, Sancho Paza, Paza, Paz, Paz, Sancho Panza.
3: Panza. Panza. Nothing could be more nerve wracking. First few friggin words. Nothing could be more nerve wracking than being an actor in the theater. It's not even Hayden. It's me. It's not you. It's me. Really. I love that you just made it sound like I'm twelve. <laughs> no, you are
1: not. And say this one. We got an. I
3: know how you? to okay. talk. Okay, go. This next one's from Bin Bin. <laughs> Apparently, I, I know don't know how to talk. talk. <laughs> no, I know how to talk. I know how to talk. Bin. This one's from Bin. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> now I'm not going to stop laughing. <laughs> you can laugh. <know. sighs>
6: Ooh. Chicks and ducks and geese better scurry When I take you out in my
0: surrey When I take you out in my surrey With the fringe on
5: top, now you
1: Watch that fringe and you see how it,
5: how it flutters When I, I drive, drive those them high set shutters, shutters Nosey pokes, pokes will peek through, through the shutters, shutters and, their and their eyes will pop
0: The wheels are yellow, the upholstery's brown The dashboard's genuine leather With eyes and glass curtains that will rope
5: what it's my voice isn't it i hate my voice